Welcome back to Chi Alpha. We don't have Taylor Swift music videos every week, just this month. But anyways, my name is Derek. I'm the director here of Chi Alpha. If this is your first time, thank you for being here. I'd love the chance to meet you after service and just get to know your story a little bit. Today is a fun day. Today we get to start our sermon series on all things dating, love, sex, romance. And I know some of you are coming in here tonight. And you're, you're like acting like you're like a little nervous about it, but you're really pumped. You're like, I'm about to find my future spouse tonight. So you're coming in pumped. And there's others of you who are coming in here and you're like, I am terrified about what he's going to say. This older guy with twins is going to yell at me. I'm going to feel bad about myself and then I'm going to go home and cry and act like it ever happened tomorrow morning. Maybe you fall somewhere in between there. But I know that when we come into an environment, we're going to talk about something that's kind of weird, right? A little different. You probably don't want me talking to you about your love life. And I want you to know I get it. I understand. I love you guys so much. I think the world of all of you, but I'm going to tell you some things that Jesus says. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're starting our sermon series entitled Love's a Game Wanna Play. Yes, that is a riff off of a Taylor Swift song. If you've been around Chi Alpha, we've been working through her different eras over the last many years. And welcome to our 1989 era. Glad to have you. So anyways... Next year's reputation, and I'm terrified of what that's going to look like in that. But anyways, we will spend the next three weeks exploring love, dating, marriage, sex, all these things, and how we can do it well in the kingdom of God. All these things, even though we never want to say it, can kind of seem like a game that we're playing. And the goal is for us to play this game in a way that honors God. And a lot of the things we're going to talk about over the next few weeks come from a book by John Mark Comer entitled Loveology, so he gets all the credit. I'm just regurgitating his genius. Something that makes talking about these topics so, I, won't, I don't want to say difficult, but interesting, is the Bible doesn't actually have a lot to say about some of them, specifically dating. Dating is not in the Bible a whole lot. In regards to sexuality and marriage, there's a lot to say. But dating wasn't invented when the Bible was written. Good news. The term dating was actually coined by a Chicago newspaper columnist, George Ady, in 1896, which is much later than our first century Bibles were written. In biblical times, marriages were arranged. And although that might be easier than modern dating, some of you are like, sign me up, then I got Mr. Right, this will be good. I don't think many of us want to go back to that time. So it started as arranged marriages turned into courtship, where men would court women through their families, which turned, dating, or turned into dating through going to the drive-in movie theater, and slowly this has evolved over the past hundred years or so of romance into a form of it's not actually dating anymore, but rather we live in a hookup culture with, filled with Tinder. We've gone from our mate being chosen to the never-ending search for a soulmate to now we just swipe right or left. This has come from the ideology that pleasure is all that matters in life. This is my body, I can do what I want with it. We think that nothing is hurt when we go around seeking fulfillment through making out with whomever we want, hooking up, texting a lot of people. It's just fun, what's the harm, right? And even though we live in a culture where Tinder can be king, I think deep down, most of us want something more than a one night stand. Deep down, I think everyone is like watching The Princess Bride. And they're just searching. They're just searching for Prince Charming. They're searching for Sleeping Beauty, something. I know those are different movies, but it's all right. It fits. I think we want something more than to have five girls who are Snapchatting at the same time with zero depth being fostered. I think we want something more than the never-ending deep dive of singleness. I think we don't like the artificiality of hookup culture. We want the real thing. 
We want true love. Our potential marriages, our bodies, our sexualities are actually insanely important to Jesus. So we must learn to honor God in this way if we want to be formed, be like Jesus. And although the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about dating, there is a story in the Old Testament that shows a man trying to find his wife. So it's kind of the same thing. In the book of Genesis, we read the story of Abraham and his family. Abraham was given a promise from God. Abraham was told that he would be the father of many nations and that the chosen people of God were going to come from his family. But here is the problem at this point in the story. Abraham was widowed and his only son was single. And we don't know this exactly, but I'm going to go out on a limb here tonight and I'm going to say that Abraham's son Isaac maybe lacked some riz, right? Because he's single. He's old when he's still single. He needed help from his dad to find his future bride. Let's read Genesis chapter 24, verses one through seven. It says this, now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. That's kind of weird, but we'll keep going. That I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But will go to my country, to my kindred, and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from that land of my kindred, who spoke to me and swore to me, To your offspring I'll give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And the theme of Love's a Game, Want to Play, our sermon title tonight is Tutorial. Welcome to the opening. Amen. Let me pray. Jesus, we love you. God, thank you for everything you're going to speak tonight. I pray that we can have a a season of grace and understanding that there's no shame in this conversation, God. I pray against any shame that anyone's going to feel for their dating pasts, that that's not the point of any of this, but it's to paint a better picture of what our future can look like. Love you, Jesus. Amen. So growing up, I had a few different romantic relationships, and over the next few weeks, you're going to get to hear about most of them, because there's not that many, and they all ended poorly besides the one, worked out well, baby. But I wasn't necessarily handsome growing up, but I made up for it with the way I texted on my Motorola Crazer. And then later, when I learned how to get that slide keyboard I got, baby, I was making girls swoon. But then the eighth grade came, and in my living skills class, There's something about the way that I was so bad at sewing things. It looked like a dead animal I was trying to make, but it was a pillow. And the way I just didn't have any living skills because my mom treated me like I was four for until I met Taylor and got married. So I had no skills. There's something about my incompetence that made this girl like, hmm. No, I was going to say something really naughty. Let's keep going. I remember I meet this girl. I start creeping on her on Facebook a little bit. I slid right into those DMs and her little sister messaged back. That was kind of weird. But eventually she starts messaging and we start dating. And I'm having fun at first. And then she starts to get a little serious. She's like, we need to go on dates. And then she wants to hold hands in the hallway. Then I had my last straw. She's like, Derek, we need to sit next to each other at lunch. I was like, no, lunch is me time. That's when I bond with my men. And this is when I become a man after God's heart. Not God's heart, but a sports heart anyways. So I decided that ain't it. I'm not ready for this level of seriousness. See, seriousness, here's reality. I'm only 13, okay? So I broke it off. Oh, she's fine. I broke up with her better than other people. We'll learn about that in a couple weeks. When this girl wanted to get real serious to me, I'd ask this question. Am I ready? This is the first question we have to ask ourselves before we go down the journey of dating. 
Before we go further, I want to tell you, I'm about to explain what I think is ideal when it comes to dating. Again, this does not come from a place of judgment, but rather this comes from someone who's made a lot of mistakes. However, God can use relationships that don't fit into what I'm about to paint you the picture of ideal. So I'm not saying your parents' marriage or your marriage or relationship's a sham. Don't get mad at me and throw tomatoes at me later. God can use imperfect things for good, but I am going to paint a picture of how you, specifically if you're in a dating relationship or a single, how you can do better than the rest of us did and how you can honor God and have the best possible future. The book of Proverbs is this collection of sayings that teaches how to live wisely. Dating's all about living wisely, okay? Proverbs 24, 27 says this, prepare your work outside, get everything ready for yourself in the field, and after that, build your house. What the writer is getting at here is they're saying that before we settle down, before we settle down with marriage and family and build our house, we need to have ourselves in order. Prepare your work outside, get everything ready before you build the house. If we enter into marriage unhealthy, We'll have unhealthy marriages that lead to unhealthy children, and that just doesn't seem to go well. Before we date, we must be relatively ready. And I don't mean ready to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I mean ready to have a husband or wife. Dating just to date is very unwise. The whole purpose of dating is to find your partner for life. When we date just for fun or date someone that we're pretty confident we're not going to spend the rest of our lives with, but hey, this is kind of all right, we're setting ourselves up for a lot of hurt. God did not design us to have a ton of partners and then attach ourselves to a ton of people, but then eventually pick one. When you date just for fun, you'll usually fall into some kind of sexual sin, which is very damaging. You unwisely attach yourself to someone on a deep emotional level that won't be your spouse and actually will probably end up being someone else's spouse. So not only are you hurting you and that person, you're hurting someone else. When you're dating someone, I want you to think, how would I feel if someone else was doing this to my future spouse? If you don't like the answer, you got to change up your dating relationship because that just might be someone else's future spouse. Until you say, I do, you never know. John Mark Comer says this, all healthy relationships are either moving toward or away from marriage. Dating to date is stupid. It's a waste of your heart and it's a waste of your time. You're not looking for a boyfriend or girlfriend. You are looking for a husband or wife. Hear me. This doesn't mean you need to know that the person you're going on a date with, you're going to marry them immediately. Don't be weird about it, okay? You don't have to know on day one. Please don't get married after two weeks of dating. If so, don't, okay? <laughs> but before you start to date, you've got to be in a place where you're ready to get married because that's the only point of dating. So are you ready to get married? If not, that's okay. That's awesome. But you probably should wait to start dating. If you're 12 years old, you have, in dating, you have to ask yourself, where is this really going? So to know if you're ready to get married, you probably need some idea of what your future is going to look like. You don't need to know everything. You don't need to have like a 30-year plan with your retirement package picked out and everything. But you should probably have some of the big rocks taken care of. For example, let's say you meet someone and you're kind of excited about them. But you want to be an overseas missionary but they never want to leave the state of Iowa. That could create some complications in the future. So you don't need to know everything, but you should probably know the big rocks, like where do I want to go? If you want to go to Turkey as a missionary, you probably should not date that person who's going to live on their family farm. Eventually you'll have conflict. But in order for you to have those conversations, you actually have to know some things about your future. 
Another huge part of being married is pushing each other spiritually. In order to have a healthy marriage as a follower of Jesus, you must be healthy spiritually. So before you start dating someone, you should probably be relatively healthy spiritually and then ready to push someone else. That means if you just started following Jesus like a month ago or even this school year, you might not be ready to start dating yet. You might need to dedicate some time to you growing as a follower of Jesus. Here's reality. Our culture hates the idea of patience. We want to go as fast as we can, right? Everything's got to be quick, 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 quick. Chill out. We got plenty of time. You're like, but if I don't start dating them now, maybe they'll find someone else. Then they weren't your somebody, okay? God is smarter than you are. Chill. We'll be all right. If you struggle to spend time with Jesus on your own right now, if you struggle to have a kind, pure, clean heart, if living a holy life is hard right now, being in a relationship is just going to make that harder. Because not only will you have to overcome all those issues, you'll probably be faced with more temptations, you'll have less time and more things to worry about. And this is especially true with sexual sin. Dating is challenging. Dating and remaining sexually pure before God is even harder. This becomes even more difficult if you're struggling with personal purity, if you have some kind of like masturbation or pornography in your life. Bringing those sins into a dating relationship is not going to help you get over those sins. So before you start dating someone, you should probably have some of those, you start to see some breakthrough in those areas. If you're watching pornography every day, you are not ready to date someone. That's not a good foundation for a marriage. You don't, it's not saying you have to be absolutely perfect, but you should start the process of overcoming these sins, being vulnerable to someone, have accountability, and start to see some freedom in those areas. Set your future self up for success by being willing to be patient and get your own spiritual life in order before you dive into a dating relationship. I promise you, you're not gonna get married and be 10 years down the road like, you know what? Our lives would be so much better if we would have started dating three months earlier. We really would have had this figured out three months earlier. No, you'd be like, thank God I had a little bit of patience because I needed to grow up a little bit. Not only do we need to be ready spiritually, but we also have to ask ourselves, am I ready emotionally? Meaning, am I healed from past pain? If you've experienced a traumatic relationship in the past or had a hard breakup, you need to make sure you've processed through that before you go into a new relationship. You do not want to enter into a new relationship still dealing with the pain from your past one. That's not fair to anyone. Wounds need time to heal. And so again, I'm not telling you if you've had a bad breakup, you never get to date again. Not at all. I'm saying, chill. Give things time to wait. If you're freshly out of a relationship, you probably need some time before jumping into a new one. Texting a new person a week after getting out of an old relationship is probably not wise. Dating someone a month after getting out of a two-year relationship probably is not the best idea. Before entering a new relationship, you need to give yourself time to heal from wounds from old relationships and also make sure you still don't have any feelings for that old partner. That's really not fair to the person that you're pursuing if you still have feelings for someone else. I want to take you all back. We're going to go back to church camp 2012. We're going on a little bit of a journey. Hope you're excited. Church camp, in case you don't know. It is a week in the summer where a bunch of teenagers from various churches come together to learn about Jesus. That's the intention. To the teenagers, though, this is a week where they're about to find their soul mate. 
They're like, I know my future husband is just at a different church across the state of Iowa. I think a lot of teenagers coming into this week not thinking how they'll walk away with a closer relationship to Jesus, but rather they're thinking, I'm about to find love this week, come on, and I was no exception to this. I remember the summer after my ninth grade year, I was on the green team, in case you're curious. You get split into teams, and I get my team, I look around, and I find her. She's way taller than me, she's a little bit older than me, I'm like, that's it, that's the future Mrs. Quimby. I thought we were definitely going to end up, you know, like, being together. She was the one. I was going to marry her. I spent the week watching her win the games for our team. Did I have a conversation with her? Absolutely not. What do you think of me? But I was convinced this girl is it. And then came the last day of camp. Just for some backstory, I was not very coordinated, okay? Not very good at the games. And we were in one of the last games, and it was like this individual obstacle course. And I remember this so vividly. This is probably one of my strongest, most forming memories in my life. And she's, we're in line, and she looks back at me, and I'm like gazing at her lovingly. I'm like, oh, sorry, I didn't want to make eye contact. That'd be awkward. But anyways, she looks back at me, and she says these words that have haunted me since that day. She said, hey, little buddy. <laughs> do you want to try a turn? It broke me. In that moment, I saw my future marriage just being crushed. Our children, they don't exist anymore. She viewed me as a little buddy. Looking back, I probably should have seen this coming. She was a senior in high school. I was a freshman. She was tall and pretty. I was short and rather goofy looking and quite round. All right? See, I was ready. I'm like, we're about to start this game of dating, but for some reason, she was not ready to play. I don't get it. She was the person I was looking for. But I was not the person she was looking for. Before we start to entertain the idea of dating, we must ask ourselves, am I the person that the person I'm looking for is looking for? This idea is central to everything we're talking about over the next few weeks. Am I the person that the person I'm looking for is looking for? Basically, this means, would I want to date the opposite gender version of me? Am I as healthy spiritually as I dream my future spouse will be? Am I healed enough from prior relationships? Am I free from sexual sin? Is my identity in Christ and not in what others think of me? Am I the person that the person I'm looking for is looking for? Am I as ready as I want my future spouse to be? If not, it might be time to give yourself some opportunities to grow. Well, let's say you are. You're like, no, I am the person the person I'm looking for. I'm awesome, and I'm ready to roll, baby. If so... We can begin to explore dating. And eventually we're going to meet somebody, and boy, are they cute. You look across that lane, you're like, they're the one. Don't look. That'd be weird right now, okay? (laughs) But you're like, they make my heart beat like the bass drum was going during that song. I'm like, dang, when I see them, the butterflies are coming. They might be the ones. Then we need to ask ourselves this question. Are they the right one? So now we're like, all right, now we're getting the fun stuff. Now I can start thinking about who do I get a date? Are they the right one? And this will take us back to the story of Isaac. Remember that we read Abraham telling his servant to find Isaac a wife from his kindred, from his people. Abraham wants his son to marry one of his people, which is actually the number one thing that we need to look for when we're discerning if we should date someone. Before we date someone, we need to know, are they in the family of God? Are they a follower of Jesus? Are they in the family of God? Just like Abraham's family. If you follow Jesus, please hear this. 
If you follow Jesus, you should not even think about dating someone who doesn't follow Jesus. Dating someone with different values and religious ideas is not laying a good foundation for your life. And let me give you, to take my pastor hat off, just put on like an adult hat. If you're a Muslim, I would tell you date a Muslim. Like it makes sense to be with someone who has the same beliefs as you, right? Just like I'm telling a Christian to marry a Christian. There's this idea that's called missionary dating. Missionary dating is when you date someone, but you're like, I promise you they're gonna change. I know they don't look like Jesus at all, but through me, because I'm so attractive, I mean so much in love with Jesus, they will fall in love with God. What a great way to start a relationship. You're like, I hope they change something very foundational to who they are as a human being, but then we'll be all good to go. That's a great foundation, right? Now, if they already don't love Jesus, more than likely, they will not change that because of how attractive you are. And if they do, you must wonder to yourself, how authentic was that conversion to Jesus if they're coerced by wanting to date you? But see, this is even more than them just identifying as a Christian, though. That doesn't actually make a whole lot of difference. See, if you're madly in love with Jesus and on a path of becoming more and more like him, which I pray you are, you need to find someone else who's running hard after Jesus. So not only are they in the family of God, what you really need to ask yourself is, are they really in the family of God? Like, what's actually happening? I don't care if they have the right Bible verse on their Instagram bio. I care what's going on inside of their hearts. Under no circumstances do I think it is wise to even entertain the thought of dating someone who doesn't already love Jesus with the same depth as you do. It's just not wise. And you can do it. I won't be mad at you. I'm going to love you regardless. We're still going to hang out afterwards. just don't think it's best. I like to think of life with God like you're running a race on a track. Our goal in life is to run our race well, to finish it well, to accomplish all that God has for us. And when you are dating and then later married to someone, the goal of this, going back to the track, is that you guys are running alongside each other and like pushing each other a little bit, like a fun competition, like I'm gonna run faster after Jesus. And then they're like, no, I'm gonna go faster. So like, you're slowly pushing each other to run around the track. That's the idea. Now, if the person you're dating is not as passionate about Jesus as you are, Instead of you guys pushing each other, it's going to be constantly you slowing down, hurting your race with Jesus, trying to get them to keep up. Because you can't win without them if they're your spouse. So what your relationship's going to look like is you running, turning around and seeing them not around you. You'll be disappointed and sad. You'll have to go backwards to go grab them and trying to drag them on this race to follow Jesus. What a good way to win a race, having to drag someone behind you. The goal is to be pushing each other. Not to be slowed down, looking back, dragging your partner alongside. Not only is that going to strain your relationship with each other, but also your relationship with God. So not only do you guys need to both be on the same idea and values, you need to be running the race at the same pace. The thing that I love most about my wife, Taylor, is that she pushes me to run harder after Jesus. When I come out in the morning and I see her reading the Bible in our living room, spending time with God, praying, that's the good stuff. I would hate it if I had to push her to love Jesus. Like, will you please spend time with Jesus for me? That doesn't seem ideal. Before we start dating someone, we have to ask ourselves this question. Does this person love Jesus more than they'll ever love me? If the answer is no, your relationship is not on solid ground. The reason being is that if someone loves you more than they love God, they're going to place their identity 
and you. You'll be their foundation, not Jesus. And I hate to break it to us all, but we are simply not good enough to be someone else's foundation. We are not good enough to be someone else's entire world or their life with God. If people are seeking value or identity through you and your romantic relationship, they will never be fulfilled and they'll eventually be bitter because they're expecting you to be the God that you aren't. Let's head back to our story. As Abraham's servant goes out to find, his, to find Isaac a wife, he stops and he prays before. What an idea. It says this in Genesis 24, 12. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Actually, this is the first time we ever read about someone in the Bible asking God for guidance. We learn from this that before dating, we should probably ask God what he thinks. I know, you're like revolutionary. I know, crazy, I'm a pastor, here we go. Who we date and eventually marry is probably the second most important decision we'll ever make outside of giving our lives to Jesus. It's a lifelong commitment. Once you're in, you're in. You don't, you don't get to go backwards. But I often think sometimes we pray more about what apartment should I live in, what campus ministry should I go to, what job should I get, what shoes should I wear, than who to date. We're like, oh, I should have prayed about that, but they're really attractive, so I just went for it. And like, it's kind of fun, okay. The important thing with this guy is as he prays, he's praying after he decides to find someone in the family. What do I mean by that? God is never gonna speak to you to date someone who doesn't love Jesus. That's not the will of God. I'm pretty confident of that. So if we don't need to, if the person doesn't love Jesus, you don't even need to pray. You can just move on. You can pray for them to fall in love with Jesus. That'd be cool. After going to the place where he could find someone in the family of God, which for this sermon meant going to a physical location, he asked God for guidance, and then he goes on to look for one more quality for Isaac's future wife. It goes on to say this in 24, verses 13 and 14. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom, shall I, or who, to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. He is saying, God, make it very obvious to me who, that we're supposed to go find. Have her repeat this sentence exactly to me. And then Rebecca, who goes on to be Isaac's wife, goes on to say those exact words to the servant. God can move, but anyways. One part of this is the servant was trying to hear clearly from God, and he made a very specific request to God, that God answered. But it's more than just this sign. That's important, right? It's important that God speaks to us, but it's more than that. When the servant is asking for a woman who's willing to fill the water jars for camels, we have to realize that these camels could drink up to 25 gallons of water. He's saying, I want a woman who's willing to help water these camels. Finding a woman that's willing to water 10 camels is astounding. It would have meant someone who's willing to do a lot of work. See, he wasn't just asking for a sign here. He's asking for a woman of godly character. So when you're finding someone to date, you need to ask yourself, are they a person of godly character? This means we want to date people that we not only find attractive, but that have good hearts, that are hardworking, they're kind, caring, obviously love Jesus and devoted to him. They're disciplined. Gary Thomas says in his book, The Sacred Search, that we are to look for people who inspire us towards godliness, 
who will confront us when we go astray, who will forgive us when we mess up, who can encourage us with wisdom when we are uncertain how to proceed. This is so important. Finding someone of godly character is not only going to impact you, though, in your dating life. You must recognize that the person you date and eventually marry will also be the parent to your future children. You're not only looking for a future partner, you're looking for someone who could parent your kids. So what do you hope your future child's parent looks like? If that's not like the person you're dating, you might be on the wrong path. Do you want your parent or your kid's future parent to be godly or worldly? Do you want them to be fun and enjoyable to be around or just attractive? Do you want them to be involved or often distracted? Here's reality. It might be kind of cute when you're in college and you're like, oh, he skips class and doesn't get his homework done. He's kind of funny. He stays up till 3 a.m. playing video games. Fortnite's back. He does that. I love to watch him when he goes up and he wins. It's so much fun. He stays up all night. Ha, ha, ha. That's really funny, right? Your partner's laziness is cute and funny when you're in college. It's not so cute and funny when your partner's lack of discipline means it's so you don't get to pay your bills and your kids don't get to eat. And they spend all their time playing video games so they don't spend any time with your kids. And they don't love Jesus. And then they can't get a job. And then you have to provide for said couch potato. Laziness might be cute in college, but I promise you, ladies and gentlemen, laziness is not cute. There's nothing cute about a bro who spends four hours a day on video games. That ain't cute. We have to be looking for people who have godly character. If the person you're interested in never gets their homework done, what makes you think they're going to help your kids get their homework done? Laziness ain't cute. And some of the guys are like, ooh, I spend four hours. Then change your patterns and habits. Gosh darn it. I, don't, I could go off. I'm not going to. Maybe later. We have to be looking for someone that's more than just physically attractive when we're looking for someone to date. Because here is another piece of reality. Looks are gonna fade. Everybody gets ugly. I, as I look at pictures of the last five years, I'm on a fast track. I have peaked like four years ago, but Taylor's holding on because I spend time with Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Looks fade. Everyone gets ugly except you, Taylor. You are more beautiful than the day I met you, baby cakes. But anyways... <laughs> For the rest of you and myself, we're going to get ugly. But although looks might fade, that little thing called godly character is not going anywhere. No matter how old you are, you can love Jesus. With all that being said, a separate point is you should find your partner attractive. Like if you think they're repulsive, don't date them. Like, if you're like, oh, they're really ugly, and I hate looking at them, but they love Jesus, so I guess I'll stomach it. Because in marriage, you want some level of, like, physical intimacy. We talked about it a little bit last week. We're going to talk about it in a couple weeks, right? You got to go, like, to Funky Town once in a while to make those babies. We'll talk about it later. But if you think they're the ugliest thing that God's ever created, they might just not be the one for you. Someone else is going to think their ugliness is beauty. Let them find that beauty, all right? So fine, make sure you're attracted to the person. You're all like, oh my gosh, who would have thought he'd say that? It's all right, it's late at night. Hey, let's keep going. My senior year of high school, I dated a girl who was very wrong for me. My first red flag should have been my mom could not stand her. My mom to this day still is like, I liked her. And I'm like, no, you did not. You were very, my mom's not, she doesn't hide her emotions at all. She's like, I love her. And that like, gives her the evil eyes. But anyways, 
See, I explained it away, though. Like, Mama doesn't understand. She doesn't get it. But reality was, she understood the situation way more clearly than I did. Because romance is powerful. Ooh, those feelings you get in your stomach, those tinglies, those are powerful feelings. It's so powerful that actually romance is more powerful than sex drive, according to what happens neurologically in our brains. Romance, or this idea of being infatuated with someone, clouds our judgment. Neuroscientists say that when we are infatuated with someone, we actually create someone that doesn't actually exist. We're so in love with them that we make excuses for all their faults and we glorify all their strengths. You ever see that relationship where the girl's really pretty, she's kind, she has a sweetheart, she's dating that goofy-looking dirtbag and everyone's super confused? Like, why are they together? She's like, he's wonderful. Like, no, he's a dirtbag. As the hit Netflix shows that Taylor and I may have binged, love is blind. (laughs) We don't watch anymore. We repented years ago. Leave me alone. (laughs) See, that girl's just so infatuated with this guy that it's making her have bad judgment. Our brains get so overwhelmed with infatuation or romance that we start to make excuses for the people we're interested in. So they fit the box and they become who we want them to be, not who they actually are. For example... Let's say you love Jesus, and you're interested in a guy, but he never comes to Chi Alpha, he never goes to church or small group, and from the outside, he does not love God with his lifestyle at all. And it's obvious to everyone but you. You then say, well, you just don't get it. He loves God in his own way. He prays before his big test guys, okay? He gets D's, but he prays before them. He's spiritual. It just doesn't look like the way you want it to. No, he's not spiritual. If, he's not, if everyone else is saying he's not, he probably is, and he probably stinks, and you're overlooking it because he's got a nice six-pack. I get it, but that just be honest about it. That man, hear this, that man better love Jesus or he has no right to even look at you. And if you want someone to tell him so, I'll tell him so. Let alone date you. Let alone be your husband. Come on. Or we'll flip it. We're not just going to dog on guys. When that guy is dating a girl, and she's just a jerk. She's constantly fighting with everyone, cussing up a storm. She nags the guy all the time, and the guy's like, hey, I know she seems mean and controlling, but it comes from love. She's just passionate, okay? I know I'm not, like, happy with her, but you don't get it, guys. (laughs) Deep down, she can be kind sometimes. There's this one time that she let me hang out with my friends on the weekend. Yes, she went home for the weekend, but it's fine. When she's cussing, she's just praying in her own version of of tongues. It's her own (laughs) prayer language, okay? Yes, there were some F-bombs in there. You don't know what language it's from. Quit lying to yourself. Do not explain away the red flags. We need to listen to the people around us when we're looking for a partner. If our friends and family go out of their way to do something extremely uncomfortable and tell you you shouldn't date someone, no one likes saying that. We all, most of us don't like conflict, so we'd rather not. So if they go out of their way to overcome that and say, hey, you probably shouldn't date someone, maybe just maybe they're onto something. Maybe not. Maybe all your friends are crazy. I don't know. I don't know your friends. Maybe, though, they just love you and want what's best for you. It's good to have standards for yourself. So, here's my list. If while they're texting you, they're also messaging someone else, gone. If they try to get you to cross sexual boundaries, gone. If they don't push you closer to Jesus, see you later. If you met them at a party or you met them at Sharky's, first get yourself out of there. You are a daughter of the king, and second, they are gone. 
Your future spouse is not coming from Tinder or Sharkies. I can almost promise you that. You were bought with a price. Jesus gave everything for you. Do not sell your life, your body, and your heart for some cheap fling. If they're not a man or a woman after God's own heart, they don't get your heart either. Bye-bye. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Next thing, look for a spouse, not a fling. Look for a spouse, not a fling. With all these things said, this is so much different than my sermon series last. I was talking about prayer and revival. God comes where he's wanted. Now I'm making fun of people. Anyways, all this said, I think it's easy to fall into one of two traps when looking for someone to date. I think the first trap is what we just talked about, having too low of standards. You are a child of God. You are a prince or a princess in the kingdom of God. God loves you and has a plan for you. Value yourself enough to have standards for the people you date. If you're dating someone that doesn't love Jesus because you think that's the only person you're gonna get, you view yourself way too low. Also, maybe God's calling you to singleness, but we'll get to that next week. So that's one trap, and I've talked about that a lot, so we're gonna go to the other trap. The other trap is sometimes we got a little bit too high of standards. You know those people with like a list? Like these are all the qualities that my future spouse is about to have. Like they need to love their Lord, the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They need to read their Bible every single day. I don't read my Bible every day, but they better. You're like, they need a six pack. They need a 4.0. And they better be able to sing to me when I'm sad. <laughs> like have some grace. They do not need to be perfect. If that's your list, you're gonna be single for a long time, okay? Let's just be honest about it. Don't expect them to do stuff that you're not doing. You're like, they better pray. I've never prayed or gone to the prayer room, but they better be there. I've got cameras in there to watch. Don't do that. So all this said, how do we find out if a person could be the one? If you're ready, which we encourage dating, people get married probably a little too often around here, but that's fine. We're not a cult, I promise you. It's not me. I'm telling everyone not to date. No one listens to me. But anyways, so let's say you do find someone and you feel ready. What do you do? So if you find someone you're interested in, you could stalk them, or you could like ask them to get coffee or something. You're like, hey, can we hang out? Too often I hear, this is a tangent, They're like, I really, really like this person. Have you ever spoke to them? No. Bad, bad. Talk to them. Go talk to them. Have a conversation anyways. Don't be afraid to put yourself out there and ask someone to go on a date. Going on a date is different than like booing up. It's not like you're caught for life. We're like, we're in the same ministry, so if we date, we have to get married right now. No, it's not. Go, hey, make friends. It's fine. Go on dates. Get to know people if they love Jesus. They don't love Jesus. You don't need to romantically get to know them. Get to know them to help them come to know Jesus. Anyways, find out if they're the one. Going on dates is far from sinful. If you're smart about it and you go on dates well, you will lose nothing because you're smart about it and you don't cross any lines, it doesn't have to be weird. But this said, we do need to be intentional. We should not be texting multiple guys or girls at once, bouncing around trying to find the one. Intentionally pursue one person. You don't get to have like five options, you get one option. Intentionally pursue one, and if that doesn't work out, that's okay, at least you were intentional. So let's say you find someone, they love Jesus, and then you start dating. Now what? How do we date well? When you're dating someone, what are y'all looking at? What is going There's a fly? You're looking at a fly? I've spent my week. And you're distracted by a fly. God help me. 
Lord, I love college students. They're great. Fearfully and wonderfully made. You guys are not, you're not sneaky. You're like, uh, uh, uh. Or, I'm not texting, I promise. <laughs> Anyways, pay attention to me. I'm the one talking. When you're dating someone, it's like you're driving a car. And in this car, there are three gas pedals that as you push, it speeds up your relationship and it takes you towards one of three destinations. So a great first step is to figure out, before you start dating someone, how long you wanna date. If you don't wanna get married for five years, you better go real slow, like riding in neutral, so like put that sucker in reverse and stay single for a couple of years. So you gotta know how fast you wanna go. Have some sort of timeline. If you wanna wait five years, you just gotta take these gas pedals really slow. If you wanna date or get married one year, then you're a little eager, but that's all right. That's what some people did, me. But anyways, so these three gas pedals that we push in our relationships are time, spiritual intimacy, and physical boundaries. When you do these three things, spend a lot of time with someone, have spiritual intimacy, and push physical boundaries, you are speeding up the relationship, which sends you towards one of three destinations. As you push these, you either go towards marriage, you go towards breaking up, or you go towards falling into sin. Those are the only options. You can't go anywhere else. As our relationship speeds up and progresses, we start to love each other more, which is gonna push us to wanna push physical boundaries together, become one flesh like a married couple is supposed to. Marriage is where relationships are designed to go. God made them that way. So the faster we go, the faster we push towards that destination. So as we push the gas pedals, we gotta decide, are we gonna get married or break up or fall into sin? Because that's what's naturally gonna happen. This isn't like saying this is what might, I'm telling you, this is just natural. This is what happens. You are not spiritually strong enough to date someone for 10 years and never do something stupid. But anyways, if you're unsure if you're pushing these gas pedals too quickly, ask for some perspective. Because you just might be too infatuated, as the neurologists say, to understand. Gas pedal number one, time. When we are dating, it is very tempting to want to spend all of our time together. I get it. You like them. You want to spend every minute with them. I was the same way too. But the more we spend time together, the more intimate we become with each other, which pushes us towards one of those destinations. And this, again, I want to say this. I'm just pointing out reality from observing a lot of college students dating. I just get to like see it happen. So this is just what naturally happens. As we date, we should probably set boundaries for how much time we're gonna spend together. If we spend all of our time together, not only are we causing ourselves to be tempted, we also fail to live missionally. It's really hard to reach people for the kingdom of God when all you're doing is hanging out with your boyfriend or girlfriend. We fail to spend time with God. It's really hard to spend intimate time with Jesus all the time if all you're doing is your boyfriend or girlfriend. We lose out in community and we become attached to someone that's not our spouse. There is no need to have a daily date night when you're dating. You do not need to see each other every night for four hours. I get out of class, it's noon. Baby, it's been so long. I'll see you at 12.30. And then you hang out till 12.30 that night. That's probably not the way to go. Gas pedal number one, time. The more you spend time together, the more you just start driving. That's gas pedal number two, spiritual intimacy. Doing things like praying together, having deep spiritual conversations, doing devotional times together, reading the Bible together, Doing those things pushes gas pedal. Now hear me, those things are not necessarily bad things to do. I'm just telling you that as you do them, it pushes the relationship further into more intimacy. Praying with your partner is a good idea, but the more you pray with them, the more the gas pedal's being pushed. So the quicker you're going towards one of those def destinations. So if you're wanting to take it slow, which is a very good idea, 
You probably should not pray together for hours, like holding hands, rubbing each other's backs, getting up in each other's business. The altar up here is not time for you to be getting each other's business, okay? I hate when, like, they're worshiping and then, like, the boyfriend's, like, right behind, like, worshiping behind. Don't do that, okay? The altar is not the time to pop a feel, okay? We'll keep going. As you see, I probably shouldn't have said that. All right, my bad, my bad. Have grace, have grace. I got two kids. I don't sleep that much. All right, as you see with your small group, as you do spiritual things with your small group, as you pray with your small group, as you have deep conversations with your small group, as you have spiritual intimacy with your small group, you become closer to your small group, right? The times you probably bonded most of your small group were at things like fall retreat, winter conference, doing spiritual things. The same thing happens in romantic relationships. Don't go too fast. Keep your own private devotional life. You, you don't have to meet them at sidecar every morning at 5 a.m. to have three hours of the Devo times as you stare into their eyes like, baby, I love you. Stare into Jesus' eyes. You love him. Gas pedal number three, physical boundaries. We're going to talk about this a lot in a couple weeks, so I'm not going to belabor this point. This one gets its own sermon. But as Jesus' followers, we are called to be sexually pure, especially in our dating relationships. Any form of sexual activity, any form of sexual activity is only healthy in the context of biblical marriage, any form. Any sort of sexual activity outside of the container of marriage is outside of God's design. I'm gonna explain it in a couple weeks. When we are dating, we need to have strong physical boundaries. We need to run from sexual sin. And I'm just gonna say, I'll give you a little little teaser trailer. Sexual sin is not just going all the way with someone. That's not the line. All those other things that get you kind of excited inside sexually, those are sinful too, right? If you're touching things you shouldn't be touching, things like that. We're in, in the church, we're told just don't have sex before marriage and you're good to go. That's not what Jesus has ever said. There's your teaser. Be back in two weeks to see the rest. Sometimes we think that we show and receive love through sexual activity with significant others. Like, my love language is physical touch, so I gotta touch them. We think it's loving someone you're like, I love them so much, I have to give my body for my pleasure. This is how we connect. I just have to touch them. In actuality, if we are seeking someone who will please us sexually, we are seeking someone who is selfish. As Jesus followers, when we do any form of sexual activity outside of marriage, we are sinning and running from God. So when someone causes us to do sexual things outside of marriage, that is causing us to be further from God. They are caring more about their momentary pleasure than our intimacy with God. So it is not loving of you to do sexual things with your partner outside of marriage. That's actually incredibly self-centered. Do you care more about their relationship with God or the relationship with you? Find someone who cares more about your relationship with God than they care about their own sexual pleasure. Find someone who says, no, we're not going to do that because you are a daughter, a son of the king, and I'm not getting in the way of that. That's not how we show love. We show love through pushing each other closer to Jesus because we care more about people's futures than just the momentary pleasures. Vice versa is true as well. When we cause someone else to sin, we are not loving them well. If we truly love someone, we will sacrifice our sexual pleasure to help them have a better relationship with Jesus. I'm gonna say no to myself so you can be closer to God. If I could sum up these gas pedals with a picture, this is how you should do it. This is dating, right there. That is SpongeBob, in case you're curious. And if you don't know this episode, it's because I'm getting too old. This is from the beginning. This is him learning how to drive. You see, that's one toe. One toe. That's all you get with dating. That's it. Pew! On each of them. Just a little toe. 
big toe. Come on. All right, take it off. I can't use that next year. You guys are getting too old, young. All right, so I know what you're all thinking. Like, this sounds great in my head, but this is hard to hear in my heart. And this is really hard to practice. I get it. I care a lot about this topic. We go pretty all out for it. I had them do a music video for it. The reason is because dating poorly has impacted my soul more than anything else in my entire life. Like I said, when I was a senior in high school, I dated a girl that was not good for me. She didn't love Jesus. I told myself I could change her. She told me she prayed a couple times. I'm like, we're good. That's fine. That's all we need. I wasn't ready, and neither was she. This led to so much destruction. We crossed a ton of sexual boundaries. I hurt her, and she hurt me deeply. I created so much pain for myself because I chose what I wanted in a moment rather than God's best. Worship team, you can come on up. And now, I had to get to have those conversations before I had started dating Taylor about what I had done. Not only did I hurt myself, not only did I hurt her, I hurt Taylor. And I believe that girl is getting married or already married, and so I hurt her future or current husband. I took from him something that was his. When we don't date well, it causes a lot of pain. So I don't have these conversations for shame. It's because I love you guys dearly. And I don't want you guys to go through the pain that I've had to go through. So like I said, I'm not sharing all these things to shame you. You don't need to walk out feeling condemned. I'm not judging you at all. I've been in your very shoes. I've seen firsthand the pain of dating poorly. And I've also seen the joy in finding a godly spouse. You can do it. And let me tell you, again, I very much relate to you because I remember when Taylor and I were dating and my older brother, who was our lead pastor of church, was Pastor Kai Alpha then, and he gave a series on dating. And I sat in the CAC as my brother shared very similar ideas to what I'm just sharing with you. And I felt like trash and I was mad at him. I was so mad at him. Please don't be mad at me. This is not my fault. And I remember feeling so convicted. I've been there. There's no judgment up here. No matter what you've done sexually, no matter what your relationship looks like, I am not judging you an ounce. But I am saying that you aren't destined to stay that way. You are not stuck. There are ways out. There are godly ways out. Maybe that won't look the way you want it to. Maybe that looks like ending the relationship. If that's what's God's best, it's what's best for you and the partner. You aren't so good that it's better for your partner to be with you and cross sexual boundaries and be sinning than to be single. You're not that special. They need to be closer to God. Care about them, not just yourself. Our culture says that you cannot honor God in your relationships. Our culture says you have to try it out before you commit. They need to explore and have fun in college. This culture's created a society with so much romantic brokenness. Is what culture telling us about sexuality actually helping? There are so many children without a father in their home. There are so many couples who get divorced. There's so much cheating. There's so many people addicted to pornography. There's woman after woman who goes to church without her husband because she married a couch potato who cares more about himself than anything else. I don't want to live like the culture's definition of sexuality. What has that led to? It's led to the greatest rise in mental illness that we've ever seen. It's led to anxiety and depression up the wazoo. It's seen, led to people after people who are addicted to things sexually, who are tied down to a stupid device that they get their pleasure from. That's what our culture's vision of sexuality has gotten us. Is that what we want? Do we want to live like the people around us or do we want to go back to the creator of the universe and live life the way he designed us to? 
Maybe, just maybe, God is smarter than us. Maybe, just maybe, God knows more about what's best for you sexually than you do. And maybe, just maybe, if we choose to live in the way that God has designed us to, we can walk into situations like this and not walk out feeling condemned, but walk out feeling free because of the goodness of God. My prayer for you is that over these next three weeks, you don't have to walk out feeling convicted every time because you've chosen to honor God. I want more for you. I want a lot more for you. I want, when we are at your wedding day, I say we because I'm coming no matter when, I want when we're at your wedding day for you to be able to say, we did it. We honored God. We did it the right way. I want you and your future spouse to push each other closer to Jesus. I want you to value your body the way that God does, to treat it like a temple, a dwelling place for God. Two of my best friends in the world, I got to be their best man in their wedding, Pastor Victor and then Pastor John, who's married to Casey. And I got to watch them, before Jesus, make horrible relationship with girls, cross a ton of boundaries, like me, But then I saw both of them commit to honoring God in the relationship they're in now, and then I got to watch both of them share their first kiss with their now spouse on their wedding day. That was the most beautiful moments of my life. That can be you. God can do that in your life. I want you to be proud of the way you handled your time in singleness and dating, not full of shame. Matthew 6, says this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So in this season, when you're dating, single, and maybe you're feeling impatient, future looks like you just want a spouse, don't seek a spouse. Seek first the kingdom of God and all this will be added to you. If you're here and sad because you're lonely or single, God knows you want a spouse. Will you trust him? Don't force something. Don't just try to make it work because you're lonely. Don't expect some person to fill the God-sized hole inside of you. Have patience. Trust God. When the time is right, you'll meet them. You sitting there and worrying about finding a future spouse actually helps nothing. It also makes you kind of awkward in those first interactions. Like, "Ah, I want to get married soon. Like, that's weird. Don't do that. Don't worry about who your future spouse is going to be. Worry about being the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. Seek God. Place your identity in him. When we become disciples of Jesus, he becomes the kings of our lives. And that means we can't hold anything back from him. He gets everything, including our day. I think often, I think we're willing to give God our time. We'll read the Bible. We'll serve. We'll stop partying even. But we want to hold this part back. Jesus, you can speak into every area of my life, except my dating life. You don't get that one, God. I want to date who I want, when I want, how I want the call of Christ is to die to self and give God everything you've got. The main idea is simple. Dating must be intentional. Yeah. If you're here tonight, you guys could all stand up. I just sense from what the Spirit is saying that there's some of you who are feeling a lot of shame tonight, that you haven't been dating intentional and you're maybe in a relationship and you're just not feeling so great about it or maybe you're here and you're really stressed that you don't have a spouse yet or something like that. And there's a lot of worries or concerns in this area. 
I just want you to know that God sees you. God loves you so much. And there's no reason for you to feel condemnation. The Bible is very clear. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. But on the other side of this conviction, I'm getting a picture right now that we are standing on this side and we feel surrounded by a room, like we're entrapped in a room and there's a door right here. And we can sense ourselves wanting to open this door and take a step, whether that's ending a relationship, changing things drastically, doing something. We see this door, we're terrified to open it because we're worried, like if I lose what's in this room, I'm losing everything that's important in my life. What I think God's speaking is as you open the door and walk out, you're walking out into a forest of freedom where you can run for miles and miles. And on the other end of that, God's got someone very special waiting for you. Will you trust him? And will we date intentionally? All of this, why do we date intentionally? We do it because there's a God who loves us very much. Jesus himself came and died on a cross to pay for our sins. So guess what? That feeling of shame or condemnation shame for a relationship, shame for an addiction to pornography. Jesus defeated that on the cross. And so now you don't need to feel shame because there's a God who died on a cross, paid for your sins, and now you can be set free to follow him if you accept him as Lord. So I'm gonna give us two ways to respond. If you're here tonight, everyone close your eyes, bow your heads. If you're here tonight and you've never given your life to Jesus and you wanna do that tonight, or maybe you need to run back to Jesus and you wanna accept Jesus' payment for your sins, on the count of three, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand as a sign to him. One, two, if anyone wants to give your life to Jesus for the first time, I see multiple hands going up. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. God, thank you for new people into your kingdom. Jesus, thank you for everything you're doing in our hearts. God, thank you for forgiveness and freedom. Amen. Amen. I want you to keep your eyes closed. If you're here tonight and something is hitting, you're feeling like there's a step you need to take, some kind of action you need to take, I'm gonna to count to three and I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. I'm giving you a lot of safety in this. I have everyone close your eyes, bow your heads. No one's looking around. I wanna give you safety. But for you to do something outward to say, I do need to take a step, Jesus. If that's you and you need to take a step of faith, there's something that God is pushing on your heart right now. I want you to raise your hand right now. Just a sign to God. No one's looking around. Open your hands to God and let's just pray. Jesus, Jesus, I pray freedom in this room. God, I pray that no one will feel condemnation in here, Jesus. But Jesus, I pray for change. I pray that we will not let the ways of the world define our sexuality. God, I pray that what happens in here is stronger than what's going on out there. That the discipleship and formation inside of this group of people will be stronger than TikTok and Hollywood and what the world tells us, God. Because we will be people who are consecrated, set apart for a holy use by you, which starts with our dating lives. That we will give this area to you, God. I feel like there's a couple people in here who've been holding on. That's their last thing they're holding on. There's one thing they haven't given God, and it's this. And I pray that tonight is the night that that changes forever. We love you so much, Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing one more song together. We're going to worship. We love you very, very much. I know this is intense and a lot. I want you to know there's no judgment, but there is hope and freedom. Amen. Love you all. See you next week.